We are continuing in Hebrews, sermon series, Let Us Draw Near. Pastor Ron will be in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read verse 7 together this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, we uh, talked about the text in regards to two individuals in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the text that said, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we made the deduction last week that uh, Abel was commended by God, that Abel pleased God. Um, Therefore, Abel had faith because the only way to please him, the only way to please God, according to scripture, is if you have it and Abel commended him or was commended by God or pleased God. So consequently, Abel was a man of faith. And certainly that's what Hebrews chapter 11 talks about. We also said there are two things in the life of Abel that he believed that were a part of his faith. He believed two things about God. And fundamentally, you have to believe these two things about God. That's what faith is. It's what's inherent within faith. First of all, that God exists. Now, that seems like maybe to most of you just a simple statement, just a kind of no-brainer statement that God exists. You don't struggle, you think, with the idea that God exists. Now, there may be some here. There may be some here today who do, and I don't want to discount that. More and more, we're living in an age that people struggle with that first part of it, that he exists. So if you do, if you do, I don't want to run over the top of that. And in fact, would love to visit with you about that. But for many of us, the idea that God exists seems like a no-brainer statement. But I think it's more than that in this text. It is God exists and it matters that he exists in my life. Now, one of the ways I illustrated that last week was the idea of prefacing what your plans are by the statement, Lord willing. Whether you do it intentionally and actually write it in an email or a letter or you just think it, there is a sense in your life that when you start to make your plans, there is a Lord willing that starts off that sentence of what your plans are. The sense in which that it is dependent upon Him who exists and by which everything else exists and has its being, Lord willing. The second thing that I think we have to believe, and I think that that uh, Abel believed about God and Enoch as well in that text, was they also believe that God rewards those who seek him. The text says, without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And the second idea of faith, and inherent within faith, I believe, is a belief that God rewards those who seek him, who put their confidence in him, and all that he is for them in Christ. First of all, certainly the grace of salvation. The the fact that our sins can be covered and cared for, 
has inherent within it the idea that it's a reward that God gives those who put their faith in his provision. In the Old Testament sense, they looked ahead. Noah looked ahead to promises that were much, much less clear, certainly, but promises they were, and he rested in the promise of God's salvation. And we in the New Testament look back to Christ. But not just the grace of salvation. I think the grace to live out the Christian life is is part of the reward that God promises to give us. God wants to be the giver of grace to us. Grace, certainly, that covers our sin, but, but grace also that begins to work a righteousness in us and, and begins to work it out in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Let me illustrate this from something I heard secondhand, not firsthand, but it's a perfect illustration. And if you were here at the church on Friday night to hear Dr. Heather, you heard this. Um, but that was just a minority of us here today. Uh, as I understand it, and I'm, I'll get it as best I can hearing it secondhand, but my understanding is that Dr. Heather said that one of the hardest statements that comes to her sometimes is when people say, I just couldn't do that, in reference to going to China and leaving home and being halfway around the world in a new culture in a, in, a, in a different setting. I just couldn't do that. And that's a hard statement for her because she came back, I believe, that evening and said, neither can I, but by the grace of God, but by his power. I remember a number of years ago, I have a good friend, some of you know him, Sam Crabtree. I remember Sam, is, as I was talking with him, Sam's one of the brightest people I know, has a a very high IQ, a very creative mind. And if you've met him, you know that. And in one particular setting, he was doing something in a setting that was really, really creative. And, and after it was over, I said to Sam, I said, Sam, you do that so easily. I think I, I caused something in his heart, the same that rose up in Heather's heart when people say, I couldn't do that. Because what rose up in Sam's heart was, I worked hard at this. He didn't say that. He's too gracious to say that. He worked hard at what he did. He's bright. He's gifted. He's creative. But he just works at a different level. And people like that work at a different level. It's not that they don't, it come, doesn't come easily. He works hard uh, at what he does and, and needs the grace of God to come and help him. And what Dr. Heather was saying is, I can't do this except God, grace comes to me. And one of the admonitions and one of the things she said back to you who were ladies there, you need to find something like that. You need to find something you can't do and set out to do it by the grace of God. For all of these teachers here, I hope, I hope the job you have in one sense is a job you can't do. And you feel that every day if you go do that. You can't do it because you're living then at a level where God has to come and be the giver. And what happens in those kinds of situations when he's the giver of the grace for you to do and live for the glory of God, I think that's the promise. He's the rewarder. And what he rewards us with is the grace we need in any circumstance to live for his glory, to reflect his glory. And that's where his glory is most clearly reflected in your life at the place and at the point where you say I can't do this and so you live dependent upon his grace 
I believe that's what the life of faith is. Um, it is. It is, first of all, receiving by grace his gift, receiving the grace of forgiveness, which you couldn't earn. You could do nothing to merit it and to, to uh, have God in your debt somehow, that he had to give it to you as a payment for something you had done. But also, you can't live the Christian life. You cannot live it where you need to live it except by the grace of God. And so people of faith live there at that level. That's, that's, that's the ideal. Now, certainly we, we don't do it perfectly, but that's what the life of faith is about. So today we're going to look at the life of Noah now. Noah also, I think, believed those two things and lived on that level. And, and we want to look at his story. We want to look from a little different perspective now as we look at the life of Noah, a man that the Bible as well believe, says by faith he did something. Uh, we want to look at that particularly. And what I want to really look at this morning is to look at, um, is to look at how that process looks, what that faith uh, that is birthed in us and fleshed out, what the progression of that is in our life. What are some of the things that get reflected in our life when that's lived out? This is an interesting story, the story of, of Noah. First of all, I'd say to you, this, is, this happened. Just like I said, God exists. Noah existed and still exists. The story of Noah is not a fairy tale. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful that the city of Aberdeen figured that out. We have one of the be- most beautiful parks in, in the country, in Storybook Land. I think all of us would agree with that. It is a beautiful park. Uh, you, people come from all around to Storybook Land to see that park and experience it. But one of the things that just grated on me for years was that when you entered Storybook Land, what did you enter? The ark. And so the ark is in the beginning, and then you go around to all of these fairy tales. And experience all of them. And so what is the conclusion of children? That Noah and his story is in the realm of a fairy tale. Well, we don't have to go through the ark anymore. They have a beautiful center. And it's, it's even magnified, I think, the beauty of storybook land. But the story of Noah happened. Now, it didn't happen, I believe, like, like this, the uh, people in Hollywood have made it look like in recent days. But it, it did happen, and it's revealed to us in Scripture. And in the chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, you read that story. And that particular incident in my life was one of the most powerful stories and accounts of Scripture early on in my, my spiritual journey. Um, I've shared this before at other times, but people come in and out. And as, as early as my recollection is in my life, the very first time that a spiritual sensitivity really began to bubble up in my life was, uh, was when I was in probably early grade school years. But I was, a, I was at a park right across from the, the house where we lived in North Platte, Nebraska. And that park had a swing set. I still remember where I was standing at the swing set. And I was there with a girl who lived at the other end of the block. Her name was Patty. I don't know what happened to Patty, but she was greatly influential in my life that day. Because for some reason, the story of rainbows, probably there was a rainbow in the sky. And somehow I knew enough to know that rainbows were connected to Noah and a flood. 
And I remember saying to her in deep theological conversation that uh, God had promised never to destroy the world again. And she took me and called me up short. She said, that's, that's partly right. He, he did say he wouldn't destroy the world, but you didn't get all of the story by a flood. What he's going to do the next time is destroy it by fire. And I went from comfort to start terror in a moment. I thought I had figured it out and I was resting on what I thought was true and it was partially true. It just wasn't fully true. But that started a trajectory in my life that you've heard some of that story to the point where I was 18 years old and and came to know Christ at that time in my life, hadn't grown up in the church. But this story was was instrumental in that. And so what I want to look at this morning, as I've said, I want to look at how faith now, from a little different angle, how it is birthed, how does it come about, what does God means does God use to bring faith to the heart of a person. I believe it's somewhat of a four-step process that we see here in the text, and uh, I'm going to recount to you this morning. The first thing that happened in the life of Noah, and we'll, you'll use the life of Noah as an illustration of this. In the life of Noah, the first thing that happened is that he heard a promise from God. He heard a promise from God. Look at verse 7 of the text here this morning. It says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Now that's referencing back to Genesis chapter 6. So turn, if you have your Bibles, if you want, to the first book of the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 6. This is what he heard. This is the exact words that he heard from God in verse 13 of chapter 6. It said, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. He heard a promise from God there. He heard something. And that's where faith always begins. And and God went on to tell him how to construct the ark. He told him to build an ark about one and a half times the size of a football field. And it would be four stories high. And then how to put it together. And it was going to take him 120 years to complete the project. And all of that he heard from God. He heard a word from God. The New Testament says it this way. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So the very first thing in in faith being birthed in someone is they hear something. They hear a promise. They hear a word from God. Now it's important that they get the promise right, certainly, And the assumption is they got it right. The assumption is Noah got it right. So they hear a word from God. That's where faith begins. They hear a promise. They hear a word from God. And then they move to a next step. And the next step that we move to is we move to seeing that promise as valuable. Here in the text, as you go back to the book of Hebrews, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear. That can be translated uh, awe or respect. In in awe or respect, he treated that word. He took that word that was 
brought to him, and he treated it in awe and reverence and in respect, and he internalized it. So faith begins by hearing something, by hearing a word. Faith cometh by hearing. And then it moves as we hear it, and we hear it correctly, to somehow God taking us and opening our eyes to see it. To see it in a way that internalizes it into our lives. That causes us to respond in a way that happens internally. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a, a text that should be familiar to, to us here. I hope it's familiar to you, but let me, let me read it to you. And, and I'm mixing metaphors a, a bit here because we started out by saying we hear a promise and then, and then we see that promise as valuable. We see it for what it is and the value of that promise. That's That's the internal response of one who comes to faith. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's why I change metaphors with you. It's a verse that we use often here. In fact, it's it's tagged on the bottom of our existence statement. But let me pick it up here in verse 3 of chapter 4. Paul's talking about the gospel. And he's talking about the gospel in the eyes of of some. And he says, even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. In in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing something. And what he's keeping them from seeing is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They don't see it. They don't see it. They, they, They may see it. I mean, they may know the words, but it another level, they don't see it. They don't internalize. They don't see it as valuable. They don't see it as something worth responding to. It's just, it's just out there. It goes on to say this. He keeps them from seeing the, glo- the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's a New Testament rendition of what I think happened in the life of Noah back when he heard a promise. What happened in the life of Noah is he heard a promise. And, and that promise was a promise that was looking forward to what we just read about. About Christ. About a Savior. And he heard that promise looking ahead to that promise. And he saw that promise as valuable. And he saw that word as worthy of response. And he responded to it. So there's both an external stimuli, a word, and there's an internal response. And we learned earlier, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that even that response is a gift of God. So be careful. Be careful with, with patting yourself too much on the back if today you see it as valuable. What you should think is, why? Why do I see it as valuable? Why does one set and hear it and doesn't see value and I see value? Why? And I hope you realize you don't have an answer for that except God. 
But then it, but then it moves further than that. So, so it begins by hearing. It, it moves to the step of, of seeing it as valuable, hearing that promise as valuable, if you want to say it that way, seeing the power of that promise, if you want to say it another way. And then thirdly, it moves to having that faith reality be evidenced. There's an, there's an evidence, there's a response of that step one and step two. Here again, we find it in this text. It says, by faith, Noah being warned by God, the promise, hearing, in reverent fear, internalizing it, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He, it moved him to response. It moved him to have something happen that became visible because of what internally had happened in his heart. One of the things that we talk often about here, in fact, in the last several weeks in my Sunday school class, is that the obedience of faith. And the obedience that comes from faith is an obedience that, that shows the reality of what happened in our lives. Obedience is always evidence of a reality that happened in us in that internal response. So it's not the quantity of that reality that's so important, but it's the reality of it in our lives. Not quantity, but reality. And here the reality of the fact that something had happened in Noah's heart was the constructing of the ark. Now, if Noah had set out to construct an ark with no internal thing happening, that would have been no, no value to him. It's, it's not that we construct the ark to cause our faith to be such that God sees and is pleased with, but it's because God is pleased with our faith. And there's a sense in which internally we, we, become, um, we become sure of the promise. We see the value of the promise. We put our hope in the promise that the result of that is obedience. So the obedience of faith is an obedience that shows the reality that something did happen in our heart. Obedience always should be that. It's, it's, the, it's the reality that something occurred and his construction of the ark didn't save him. It wasn't the ark itself, but it was the faith that caused him to do it. And then fourthly, true faith endures. So we hear, we see the, the beauty of it, we see the, the worth of it, we embrace it, because we've embraced it, there's a response, an outward response, something visible, something that shows the reality of faith birthed in our heart, shows the reality that we found a new treasure in our life. That's what happened to Noah. The fact that he had found a treasure resulted in the ark. And then fourthly, it endures. True faith endures. If there's any message that comes out of the book of Hebrews is that true faith endures. That if God has begun a good work in you, he brings that work to completion. And here again, we see the time frame of it in the life of Noah. 120 years it took. There was no flash in the pan. There are many people on the, on the roadway scattered all over the side of the road of the Christian life who are, are on the by side. They, they started out well, it seemed, but didn't finish 
didn't finish. They, they're scattered by the wayside. And the incurrence and the evidence of Hebrews and what the inference of Hebrews is, then they really didn't see it. They really didn't see it because those who truly see it endure. If we truly have had the internal response and embraced the treasure, we will persevere to the end. That's what Hebrews clearly teaches. So that's the four-step process. We hear something, and, and it must be the truth. It must be the right thing. There's an internal response to that, which then has a visible outward response as evidence of the internal thing and perseverance. So now what I want to do is, as we just look at this text, is I want to focus now on the last verse of what we read this morning, the last half of the verse. It says, by this, by this, by this faith, by that process of faith, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes from faith or comes by faith. Two things happened in the life of Noah. He condemned the world. What, what does it mean? What does it mean he condemned the world? Does it mean he had some kind of a self-righteous aura that looked down his nose on those around him? I, I don't think that's what it means. But what it means is that, that his very life, being around Noah, caused something to happen in people. I think it would be the New Testament equivalent says that, that believers are either the aroma of life to unbelievers or the aroma of death. We, we, they sense it two different ways. And, and I think that was what Noah was like. There, there was something about his life because he was a person of faith. And according to the text, he was the only person of faith in his generation, except his, his family who followed him and around him. But he was, a, he was an extreme minority at this point. And many commentators believe that this is one of the worst periods of time ever in the history. We think things are bad now, even worse then. The people around him, the mocking, the things that he experienced for those 120 years. And yet there was a sense in which he had an aroma around them that they couldn't quite figure out. I think people of faith ought to be that way. There ought to be a sense in us and those around us that we, we march to a different drummer and they can't figure it out because they don't know the drummer. And the only way they will totally figure it out is to know the drummer. So what, what we would hope would happen, what should happen, I think, in our lives is that Eventually they ask, who's the drummer? Who's the drummer that you hear? So that we then can tell them. And I think Noah possibly did that many times. They didn't respond in that case, but he kept telling them. He condemned the world in that sense. But the second part is what I want you to get. This is what I want to to close with this morning and spend the Majolka time. It says he condemned the world, but this is what is so precious, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Understanding that right there is so crucial, that he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This righteousness talked about here is talking about an objective righteousness. 
if you will, you could use the term, and I've used the term of alien righteousness. It is a, it is a righteousness that's outside of us and was outside of Noah. Righteousness that resided there. It was not a righteousness that somehow he conjured up within himself. It was not a subjective kind of righteousness. And again, I defer to the illustration that I've used countless times with you when we talk about the gospel. If, if this, if this represents the righteousness of Christ, if this represents what he accomplished for us on the cross, he, he lived a perfect life, he died a perfect death so that he could be without sin and be a perfect sacrifice so that he could take our sin on him and and produce a perfection that we couldn't. You see, one of the things that's important to understand is in the beginning, had and the theologians would say this, had Adam and Eve in the beginning lived a perfect life. In other words, had they not sinned, had they not given into the temptation of the tree in the garden, they would have been confirmed in righteousness. And if they were confirmed in righteousness, how different it would be today. But the Bible clearly says they were not confirmed in righteousness. They were confirmed in unrighteousness. The first Adam sinned. So a second Adam comes along. And and what is... The reason for his coming, as we looked in Hebrews, he came to die, but he first came to live perfectly so that the second Adam could be confirmed in righteousness the way the first Adam failed to be. And the wonderful thing about the gospel is that he was. He was confirmed in righteousness. He did live a life of perfection. And the gift that he promises to those who hear the promise and see the treasure of it, and embrace it, and put the full weight of their hope is, he will give us that perfection. He will let that perfection, that confirmation in righteousness that he accomplished become ours. And so we've talked often, if this represents us, when, when we make that internal response of faith and put our hope in that, he gives us this righteousness. This would be a picture. He gives it. He covers us with this righteousness. Now, inside of us at the same time, and this is why I need to make this illustration, at the same time, he begins to create an actual righteousness in us. He begins by the Holy Spirit to come into a believer's life. The Bible says if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. So if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He begins to grow you in righteousness. You begin to become more and more righteous. The moment you come to Christ, the moment you put the full weight of your hope in Christ, you are more righteous than you were the moment before that. You're not perfect yet. You have a woeful, long ways to go to be perfect down this line of of righteousness. But you have begun. You have made a separation from total unrighteousness to beginning to be made righteous. But one of the things we've said over and over again is you cannot at any time think that this has been been going on long enough that you can throw this off and stand in this. You will never be able to stand in subjective righteousness, your own righteousness. It always is on the basis of Christ's righteousness that you have standing. It's the way that we can draw near to a holy God. We spent time a few weeks ago talking about that. You can go back and get those messages. But the only reason we can come before a holy God who demands perfection is by having a perfection. And this is the only perfection that will stand. This will never be perfect enough. 
It's becoming more and more like Christ. We're be changing from one degree of glory to another, the scripture says, but never. So the reason I make that point is when it talks about here, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I'm talking about this righteousness, not this subjective righteousness that the Bible sometimes will talk about. We'll talk about righteousness, but that's, that's not a perfect righteousness. You have to have this righteousness, and that's what it says here. By this, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes from faith. So you could say it this way. When, when God looks at Noah, when God looks at Noah, he sees his son. That's what this means. When, when God looks at us, he sees his son. He sees the righteousness of his son. There are lots of texts in scripture that talk about this objective righteousness. Let me, let me point you to a few so that you don't think I just pulled this out of thin air. Turn to the book of Romans if you have it. Otherwise, listen to two texts that are there. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. And then I want you to, to look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, or excuse me, not Romans, Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 is what I want to look at first. It says there, it says this, but now a righteous, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then it goes on to talk about there being no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's talking about that objective righteousness that we talked about. A righteousness of God has been revealed, an alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of us. It was revealed in Christ when he came and lived perfectly and died perfectly. If you go to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says this to us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. And up in verse 17, it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There's a righteousness that God gives us. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it, in it, a righteousness is revealed. It's revealed to us, this alien righteousness. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Paul in Philippians says, I, I count everything, everything loss for the sake of Christ, that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, not, not this righteousness, but comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. Faith, this righteousness. This morning, when we look at the book of Hebrews, when we look at this text here in Hebrews, and it says, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, that's the righteousness. That's the righteousness. Looking ahead. You see, it in the Old Testament, people were saved the same way as people in the New Testament. By God looking on his son. And in Noah's case, he looked on his son and declared Noah righteous because he knew what his son was going to accomplish. 
For us, he looks back on the death of his son, we who come after the cross. But whether he looks on it ahead because God is all-knowing and he knows all the future, or he looks back on it for us, it's the same way, the righteousness that comes through faith. Now, let me, let me wrap this up and bring it to a close. Let me bring a picture to you why this story is so incredible that God reveals it to us in, this, in the scripture. What was the promise that Noah got? The promise Noah got is that God was going to save he and his family. And the way that he was going to save he and his family was as Noah responded in faith, in the obedience of faith, to construct an ark. And so how was Noah saved? How was Noah's family saved? They were saved by coming into the ark. You see the picture? The way we're saved is by coming into the ark, the ark of God. It's a picture of what Christ one day was going to be doing. It's a picture of the promise that countless numbers of people years after the life of Noah would hear and see a picture of. They would see the picture of coming to Christ as the picture of Noah and his family entering into the ark. And God closed the door and they were safe. This morning, I would say to you, is, is that the promise that you hear? Is that the promise that you've responded to in your heart? Is that the promise that causes the obedience that flows out of your life? It's based on that understanding of the preciousness of that promise. And it is that promise that keeps you keeping on and continuing to believe there's no place else to go. Only he has the words of eternal life. Only he is the ark of God. There is no other ark. As we close this morning, I want to go where we began this morning in Matthew chapter 24. If you want to turn there, the worship team is going to come this morning and I want us to look at what it says in the text and make this application and then we're going to be done this morning. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, Again, it's the story of Noah. It's bringing the account of the story of Noah into the New Testament. You see why it's so crucial that we don't leave um, this particular story out at storybook land in the realm of fairy tales? Because if that's how you see it, if you see it as something that is a story but it didn't really happen, then it, it comes against all of Scripture. But here in verse 37 of our text. Let me read to you what it says. For as in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Noah heard a promise. Noah heard a promise. And he saw the, the worth of that promise and the treasure of that promise and he responded to that promise. He had a visible response of building the ark and one day taking all of his people into the ark because he believed it was going to happen. What the Bible says to us, you are a believer today. You profess Christ today. You say, I've heard a promise. I've seen the treasure of that promise. Do you live in light of the fact that one day again, that promise is literally going to be fulfilled. 
one of the things we've talked about here again and again and again, and I bring it back here to closing, there is a, there is a spirit of our age bubbling up all around us, the spirit of pluralism. The idea that the only important thing in life is that you're sincere. If you're just sincere, it doesn't matter what road you get on. And, and people, I'm going to tell you, that, that message is going to get amplified um, to the nth degree in the coming days. Now, I, I'm not a prophet. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I think that's what's going to happen. More and more, you're going to look more and more foolish, more and more foolish if you believe the promise of Matthew 24. If you really believe that the only way to be saved is to come into the ark of God, Jesus Christ, you are going to increasingly pay a price for that, that stand. It is not going to be popular. It is going to get less popular as the days go on. And the thing I say to you, do you really believe it? Do you really believe it in your heart and in your life? I pray this morning that your response is, yes, I do. And we live in the line of Noah. Let's stand together and sing as we close this morning. By faith we see the hand of God In the light of creation's grand design In the lives of those who prove His faithfulness Who walk by faith and not by sight By faith our fathers roam the earth With the power of His promise in their hearts Of a holy city built by God's own hand A place where peace and justice reign We will stand as children of the promise We will fix our eyes on Him, our soul's reward Till the race is finished and the work is done We'll walk by faith and not by sight We will stand as children of the promise We will fix our eyes on Him, our soul's reward Till the race is finished and the work is done We'll walk by faith and not by sight We'll walk by faith and not by sight Father, I'm certain in the days of Noah that there was lots of mocking and jeering and crowds crying out about the foolishness of Noah. The fact that he believed that that ark was the only way his family would be saved. Father, it's no different today. It's no different today and I think we'll get even more evident as we go forward that 
Anyone who says that the corollary of that ark is Jesus Christ will face the same kind of mocking and suspicion and ridicule. Father, I pray that you'll help us. You'll help us to keep hearing that promise and believing it and living our lives in such a way that reflects that, Father, for the sake of the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.